Could I ask you to turn with me in your Bible, friends, to the first epistle of Paul to the Thessalonians, please. And running your eye down the chapter, chapter 4 of this epistle until we come to the verse number 13. And we'll read some words there in just a few moments. <clears throat> Can I say that I really do appreciate the welcome that our brother has given to us tonight, and I assure you it's a joy for me to be back with you here at the Lifeboat and to have the opportunity of bringing the message of the gospel to you once more. It's always a pleasure to come and to see you folks again from time to time, and so I do value the opportunity of being here again tonight. Thank you very much for being at the meeting. Your presence is much appreciated. It's very difficult to hold meetings without people. So we're glad to see you, and we thank you for being here. May the Lord bless you. Lovely to have uh, listened to Colette there tonight. I haven't heard her sing for quite a while, but uh, things are just the same as they were. Uh, she's as good as ever, and it's wonderful to hear the message of the gospel in song, isn't it? He died an atoning death for thee. He died an atoning death. Oh, wondrous love for you, for me. He died an atoning death. Took my mind back to a meeting where I used to go many years ago. And there was a dear old brother led the meeting every Sunday night. You see, he led the singing. It wouldn't have been so bad if he could have sung. You see, but he hadn't a note, but he still loved to lead the singing in the meeting. And I think the people just sang well, so she didn't have to listen to him. But uh, he was good at leading a meeting anyway. But he used to say a thing when we would sing a hymn like that, and I used to wonder about it. You see, he used to say, well, if we can't preach the gospel, we can certainly sing it. You see, and I'm coming on behind him to bring the message in the gospel. And I often wondered, was he giving me a dig or what was he doing? I never asked him, of course, because uh, I might have got an answer I didn't want. But uh, nevertheless, it's uh, lovely to be here tonight. Good to see you again, Colette. And good to see you all. And Brother Bertie down there at the back, looking rightly for his age, isn't he? Uh, going well. And uh, we thank God for him and for every remembrance of him and all the rest of you here in the gathering. Now, this is the Easter weekend, as we know, and I want to read about the Lord's coming. You'll see why in just a few moments. Let's go to verse number 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul is writing, and he said this, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them 
which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Here is the purpose for Paul writing as he did. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now run your eye up the chapter just for a moment until you come to the verse number 14. Now, if you put your finger over the first two words, for if, just leave them aside for a moment. Here is what we read. We believe. Now what do we believe? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. Isn't that a mighty summary of the Easter message? We believe that Jesus died and rose again. There you have two mighty things. You have Christ the victim. Jesus died. And you have Christ the victor. For he rose again triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. That's all I'm reading tonight. The Lord will add his blessing to his own most precious word. There are many, many things that we could say tonight, friends, when we come to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as the victim. Because there's no doubt When he went yonder to Calvary and was nailed to the cross. What a serious, serious experience that was. And when in the hours of darkness he bore our sin in his own body on the tree. There is no doubt at all that willingly and voluntarily Christ had become a victim. But I want to talk about one or two of the things to you tonight that he became a victim of. One of the things that struck me when I read this and began to think about it was the fact that he was the victim of what we might call eternal design. You see, Calvary was not an afterthought with God by any means. The Bible teaches clearly and plainly that before there was ever a sinner in the garden, there was a Savior in the glory. Now let me take a moment or two to prove that to you biblically. The Apostle Peter and his companions in Acts 2 were in the upper room. The doors were barred for fear of the Jews. I believe the reason for that situation was this. They were in there and they were determined to stay in because they were scared that they might suffer the very 
same fate that the Savior did. They were there. And of course, they were patiently waiting for something to happen. We know tonight, of course, what it was. It was the promise of the Holy Spirit of God. It was the promise of the coming of the Comforter that Christ had promised to send. And my, there came a moment whenever the Holy Spirit descended. What an experience that was. Because we're told this, that by one Spirit, they were all baptized into one body. And from that moment on, friends, a mighty, mighty work was about to begin. When you read on in the chapter, you find these men going out, if you like, into the open air, the way we do from time to time. And they began to preach Jesus and the resurrection. But it wasn't done in the energy and in the power of the flesh. It was done in the energy and power of the Holy Spirit of God, for which there can be no substitute then or now or at any other time. We know, of course, what the result and the consequences were. Thousands, hundreds of people were brought into the kingdom of God and a mighty, mighty, mighty work was done. Many a time when I read the early chapters of Acts, which I like to do quite often, one tends to lift their heart to heaven and send up this prayer, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Or wouldn't we love to see a move of God, a mighty move of God in our day and in our generation. If you want to see what that move can do, read the early chapters of the Acts and you'll stand back in amazement. However, the spokesman, or if you like, the main preacher on that occasion was the Apostle Peter himself. Peter went out fearlessly and faced the men who were guilty of the crucifixion of Christ. And he said this to them. Listen, you took him, and by wicked hands you crucified him, and you slew him. Now, that message came in Holy Ghost power. And I can tell you this, friends, when they heard it, they were cut to the depth of their heart. Cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And of course, the tremendous bam of gospel truth was poured into their hearts and into their lives. And through repentance of sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as I've indicated already, hundreds and thousands were wonderfully saved. But you say to me, what has that to do with the eternal design you're talking about? Well, if you go to the Acts chapter 2, I'd encourage you to do that when you get a chance tonight later. And you read the passage, you come to where Peter said you took him. 
and by wicked hands you crucified him and slew him, I left a bit out. Now here's the bit that was left out. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. What is Peter doing? He's taking his audience, his congregation, if you like, away back into the councils of eternity. This was before Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But Peter is going away back beyond that. And he's thinking about the triune God in conference, if you like, planning the great redemption story. And he's telling them, as I tell you tonight, God had it all planned long before the events of the Garden of Eden took place. Way back there, it was foreordained that our Lord Jesus Christ should come forward and suffer and bleed and die, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You see, friends, sometimes I go out at night, and if the the sky is clear, I look up, and I see the moon shining. And through the day, we try to see the sun when we get the opportunity so to do. It's there, set in a tabernacle, the Scriptures tells us, by the Almighty God Himself who created the universe. And of course, we're told in Genesis that he made the stars also. I don't know how many there are. I don't think any human knows. There's certainly a multitude that no man can number of stars. He made them all. But listen, that council took place away before creation came into being. No human eye has ever seen what happened there. No human ear has ever heard. No human voice has ever spoke. No human hand has ever touched. No human foot has ever stood there. Just the triune God. The way back there, it was foreordained that our Savior should come forward and suffer, and bleed, and die. Isn't that an amazing thing? I think that's something, if we could grasp it tonight, would unfold to you and I the depth of the love of God. For we read in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. This is the details of this council being put into action. And the reason was this, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I ask you a question tonight? Can I be very personal with all in the meeting? At the Christmas season of the year, 
We remember Emmanuel, God with us. Tell me, friend, are you glad he came? And at this Easter season of the year, are you glad that he died and rose again? Or as far as you are concerned, it might as well never have happened. For you're still sitting in your sin. You're still on the broad road that leads to eternal destruction and that leads to eternal ruin. There's no sign of repentance or faith in the Lord Jesus Christ up to this minute. My friend, it's time for a change. For now is the accepted time and now is the day of salvation. All of this salvation plan the triune God has done for you. It's time for you to do something back in return. What do I do, says someone? I love the words of that old hymn. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul and my life and my all. Oh, how I wish that that demand were met in this meeting this evening. Yes? He was the victim of eternal design. But he was also the victim, friend, of crucifixion's dread. I want you to ponder that for just a moment or two. Did he know the details of crucifixion? Of course he did. Of course he did. Did anyone know it better? No one knew it better than he. Because when you come to the Old Testament and you think of all those passages that describe Calvary and the cross, the Lord Jesus knew them intimately. When Isaiah wrote, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Jesus knew who would be wounded. Jesus knew who would be bruised. Jesus knew who would be striped. He knew it all, intimately. And this was part of the reason when he arrived in the garden of Gethsemane when he fell on the ground and his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground and he prayed, Father, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. From that track, he turned not back to where we lay in want and shame. He saved us. Blessed be his name. Oh, he was the victim, all right. They nailed my Lord upon the tree. 
and left him dying there. Through love, he suffered there for me. T'was love beyond compare. Crucified, crucified, and nailed upon the tree with pierced hands and feet and side for you, for me. You ever said thank you, friend? You ever bowed your head and told him you're sorry for your sin and opened your heart and brought him in? Into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Oh, what an Easter this would be in your experience if you were to come as a sinner to Jesus. What an experience that would be. For all is changed when Jesus comes to stay. What I'm trying to get over to you, friend, is simply the center and the circumference of the gospel. The whole message in a nutshell. And here's what it is. I'm a guilty sinner, but Jesus died for me. Murray McShane wrote, Upon a life I did not live, upon a death I did not die, another's life, another's death, I stake my whole eternity. You were to face eternity tonight, friend. I wonder, are you ready? For remember, it's heaven or hell forever. And there's no coming back to make a change or to do things differently. The die is cast then. The opportunity is gone. But it's not tonight. You can take the step and you can take it now. Ah, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You do the coming, friend, and Christ will do the saving. A lot more we could say about that. We believe that Jesus died. Christ the victim. We could talk about him, how he became the victim of Judas and Peter and other like them. Judas betrayed, sorry, betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied him and so on. All of those were heartbreaking experiences when our Lord became the victim. But I want just to say a little something in closing about Christ the victor. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. You know, that's a mighty thing. A mighty thing. There are religions across the world tonight they seem to be on a steady increase. And they're all the cries of dead men to dying people. There is no hope in any of them. But we present a Savior who died and rose again and lives in the power of an endless life and gives eternal life 
to the vilest offender that truly believes. That's how it is. The vilest offender who truly believes. I was preaching in a meeting last Lord's evening. And after the service was over, I was talking to a lady from Poland. And of course, she was at the meeting and terribly confused and muddled because she had been brought up in a religion all her life. Then she comes into a gospel meeting and she discovers that we don't exalt religion at all. We exalt a person. And the verse that I was laboring to get over to them was the answer that Paul and Silas gave to the Philippian jailer when he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they gave this mighty answer, which has been a melody in the heart of thousands down through the years. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved on thy house. And here's the bit of love. Believe, be saved. You see the simplicity of that? My friends, let's never make the way of salvation difficult. It's so simple that the wayfaring man, though he be a fool, should not err therein. Believe, be saved. Those of you who pray, pray for that lady because she hasn't come through as yet, but I believe she will. She was there and listened to the message. Do you know, friends, You can believe, and you can be saved. You can trust Christ tonight. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. And if you do that, the Lord Jesus will come into your life, and what a change that will make. I love this. All is changed when Jesus comes to stay. You know, just in concluding tonight, Forty days after he rose again, he took the disciples out onto the mount and he gave the great commission, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And as the disciples stood there, he began to rise. Up and up and up he went. Until the scriptures tells me a cloud received him out of their sight. I believe that was a cloud of angels. I have no question about that in my mind. I think that's what they were. And I don't know whether they have reruns of things in heaven or not. I'm not sure. But wouldn't you like to see that moment when God the Father arose from his throne and welcomed his great son back into heaven again and said to him, sit down on my right hand until I make thy foes the footstool of thy feet. And there he sits, the one mediator between God and men the man, Christ Jesus. My friend, it's Christ you need and Christ is here.
The master is come, and he calleth for thee. Are you hearing his voice tonight? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Take the step. Come to the Savior while you may. We can help you now at the end of the meeting. It would be a delight to open the scriptures and show you more about God's plan of salvation. If you prefer to talk to our brother Bertie or some of the others that you know better, that's fine. That doesn't bother me in the least. But if you're here and troubled and concerned, make this your night of opportunity when you will come and say Christ for me. And of course, we're your servants and we're that for Christ's sake. God bless you and thank you for listening so well.